Medic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. Joining me today is our Outreach Coordinator, Ashton Herring. Thanks for joining us, Ashton. Thanks for having me. Today, we are going to talk about a cool new addition here at MCHD that I've got uploaded. I'm pretty excited about. Uh, hopefully, it's going to really make a difference here in the in the county and the community, and that's Pulse Point. And we'll start really uh, with the title of the podcast, and that's the future of, of bystander CPR. So let's roll right in, Ashton. Tell the listeners out there why bystander CPR is important. I think we know as medics, but tell us some of the numbers and if we've not refreshed on this, some of these are pretty pretty staggering. Sure. So we know that every minute somebody in cardiac arrest goes without CPR, their chance of survival decreased by as much as 10%. So that's 10% for every minute. So when we're talking about ambulance response times or first responder response times of five, six, seven plus minutes, multiply that by 10. And those are your chances of survival that are lost by not receiving CPR prior to the arrival of responders. And so that bystander CPR, that bystander intervention um, is so incredibly important and can potentially increase that chance of survival by as much as two or even three times. So we, we want to educate people to really be the first first responders. So, so that's the good, the good part is the quicker we do CPR, the better. And we know that number is a big number. So when we think about that, it doesn't, it's not hard math to know that every minute your survival drops 10%. The quicker you can do it, every minute you save is 10% increase. Uh, give us a little bit of the bad news, though, and why are we focusing on Pulse Point and bystander CPR here at MCHD, that really the focus of a lot of your outreach. Why is this so important? We have work to do, right? Right. So we still have work to do. We have um, we have fantastic first responders. Um, we have a fantastic dispatching system. We have emergency medical dispatchers. They're providing CPR instructions over the phone. We obviously, we like to think we have a great EMS service, right? So we're providing excellent care here in our community once we have those um, services intervene, right? But, you know, you think if somebody recognizes CPR, by the time you call 911, get to that point in the dispatching system, that's time lost if you're not already doing CPR. So we know that nationally speaking, about 46% of people are getting bystander intervention. That's across the United States. I guarantee you, you know, people learn how to drive and don't think about it. So it's very second nature for us to get an education in driving. Uh, but why not get an education in learning how to save someone's life? It's uh, that number's, you know, that's that's a number. That's where our work has to go. And we can have the best response times. We can have the the best first responder services. And I feel like to plug to plug those guys and gals out there, I think that we do. But if that time is lost at home on the linoleum in the kitchen, you know, we can be behind the eight ball before we even come through the door. And that's really where you know this focus on bystander CPR and your focus comes into play. When I trained 20 years ago for my first CPR, probably yeah, 20 or 25 years ago, my first CPR class, uh, there was a big limitation for us as bystanders. I was a terrible lifeguard as, as a youngster, and the scariest part to me was the mouth-to-mouth portion, mm-hmm. and I think that's what scares off a lot of people. So for those of us involved in EMS every day, we know that pendulum has shifted, the paradigm's changed. For those out there who don't know, talk a little bit about hands-only CPR versus CPR with rescue breasts and sort of the, the differences there and dispel some of the myths and the fact that 
people do pretty darn well with hands only, right? Yeah. So we, the American Heart Association, I guess, has has led this research and why aren't people doing CPR? What's preventing them? And you survey people and you find out things like, I don't want to put my mouth on a stranger's mouth, which makes total sense. Neither do I. We t- we've taught our children, don't put that in, my, in your mouth. You don't know where it's been, right? So we go back to that, that logic of we've taught our children. We've been taught, don't put it in your mouth. You don't know where it's been. Why would you put your mouth on a stranger's mouth? You know, the other concerns like liability and I might not know how to do CPR. So hands-only CPR is a way to teach the masses. Um, it's just, it's just that it's compressions only CPR and in those first few minutes of adult cardiac arrest it is just as effective as CPR that you've traditionally learned and so we know it works very well and I said adults um, and, and I guess older teenagers can be lumped into that but because we know in children that their cardiac arrests still stem from respiratory emergencies those are going to be chokings drowning suffocations those are the typical causes of pediatric cardiac arrest so hands-only CPR becomes less effective in those populations. But for an adult in cardiac arrest, doing compressions only and not putting your mouth on a stranger's mouth is going to be very effective. And I think it bears repeating for the, the non-medical listeners out there. I know we have, have uh, quite a few. It's really not intuitive, right? We learned in 1995 that you had to have the face mask to, you know, to block the emesis when you gave your rescue breaths. So you had the little pocket mask that we carried around. But this research and this development really was pretty staggering and the studies were very well done that again to repeat what Ashton just said in adults and older children big kids when you compare hands-only CPR so just fast good deep compressions to compressions with rescue breaths no change in the outcomes the patients do equally as well so there really should be no fear of of those rescue breaths and, and and you know if you know CPR and it's a stranger in the mall, get get down and going on the chest. That That's the big limitation out of the way. And just to repeat the pediatric portion, kids are a little different. Their cardiac arrests are primarily respiratory as opposed to adults who are cardiac pump. And so those patients do need rescue breaths, and that's a, it's an entirely different paradigm. We're speaking more in general uh, to, to adults today. Um, so mouth-to-mouth sort of out of the way because it's not really needed if you see somebody go down in the mall or on the street. What about, you mentioned liabilities. What about liabilities? Is there evidence of, pay, of bystanders, good Samaritans being held liable? I just did some review on this myself, so I know the answer, but I'll let you take it. Yeah, so not a lot of evidence to support that. A lot of states have good Samaritan acts or good Samaritan laws that protect the bystander in that intervention. Basically, the concept going back to that story of if um, if you were to just walk over somebody and keep on your way doing nothing, that they would be worse off than you providing an intervention that is reasonable and I guess the standard of practice, right? So you've seen maybe some horrible videos on YouTube that show maybe compressions not being done correctly, maybe with your feet and things like that. Obviously, that's not a standard of care, but you... If you were doing compressions the way a normal person would be doing compressions, that would be considered reasonable and what the normal person would do. And good Samaritan laws are very, very forgiving, right? Trying to do your best, trying to help, doing so without, you know, any intention of receiving compensation or coercion or anything like that. There's no, there's no uh, case law on the books that puts you at any real risk unless you're doing CPR with a sledgehammer or like you said, with your feet, something just bizarrely out of outside of the norm. But if you're two inches lateral to ideal position, no one's going to come down on you with, with a ton of bricks. Right. 
Okay, Ashton, so we've talked through the importance of bystander CPR. We've talked through some of the limitations and some of the newer research developments and sort of paradigm shifts uh, and also dispelled some of the liability myths. So if you're a naysayer out there and now you're converted and you want to learn uh, CPR, how can, how can you make that happen? So we still teach the full breast and compressions courses. So here at MCHD, we teach classes through the American Heart Association, and we teach BLS CPR, Heart Saver CPR, where you learn breast and compressions for adults, infant, children. We also have community outreach initiatives to teach that hands-only CPR. Maybe you don't have a full three, three and a half hours to commit to a, a certification class. You're just interested in gaining more knowledge. We've done lunch and learns, community events, teaching people how to be comfortable putting their hands on somebody's chest, compressing two inches, and learning that proper, I guess, form for CPR. And I think it's one of those things like when you get put in a situation to have to do it, you've done it before. You have some muscle memory. You remember, oh, I, I learned this once at that event or that lunch. And so it's really getting out there in the community and put, putting this in front of people and helping decrease that fear of, of CPR by increasing the knowledge of CPR. Really, I, I think a big point in there that I would like to, to bring out also is the attitude of I don't have three hours or I don't have six hours or I don't have a Saturday morning to, to dedicate to CPR class. There's ample literature uh, supporting the efficacy of non-traditional CPR training. So when the in the days of podcasts and apps and YouTube videos and all the things that are out there, if you're a listener, you may not get the AHA sticker, which it's nice to have. Uh, if you're my 15-year-old daughter and you're a babysitter, you may need that. That may help your, your job prospects. But if you just want to know what to do if somebody goes down besides you in the mall, which I think is a reasonable thing for us all to know, there are multiple non-traditional learning apps, learning methods, ways that you can, you can get down to really simple hands-on CPR instruction outside of a traditional course, yeah. correct? Even the HA has some great entertaining resources on their website for how to learn hands-only CPR. So some quick um, short videos with some information. You can even see some of your favorite celebrities helping on those videos. So it's some really good informative stuff with just you know brief amounts of time. And, you know, we talk about the certification course, and some people do need it for work, for school, what have you. I'm a certified CPR provider, and um, if I were in the mall and somebody dropped dead, I'm going to do hands-only CPR if I don't have a barrier device with me, and I'm going to be confident doing that. So I think it's just increasing that awareness. One of the other things that I didn't mention earlier, I think bears discussion now, is when do we think about starting CPR? And I think this is another spot where there's a few myths out there that sometimes can delay us. So what things as bystanders, medical and non-medical, should we, should we be looking for as to when to start CPR? And that one can be tough because I think sometimes we look for all the pieces of the puzzle and sometimes only part of them are needed, correct? Sure. So one thing that we've learned in all of this is that people who are not trained to check pulses regularly, maybe you're a healthcare professional. If you're not a healthcare professional who checks a pulse, it is very likely that in the event of emergency, you're not going to be able to check a pulse. Hey, listen, the, the evidence for us as EMS providers, uh, ER nurses, ER doctors in pulse checks is pretty terrible too. Right. So the idea that you can check a pulse and be sure, that's probably false, correct? Sure. So um, so what we're teaching is we're checking for responsiveness. We're checking for effective breathing. And in the absence of both, 
we're going to do CPR and really when in doubt, do CPR, right? And so it's, it's really goes back to limiting that hands off the chest time. As soon as you can get hands on chest and start compressions. Um, and that's where the big focus is quality CPR, limit hands off the chest. I mean, it's, it's really back to those basics that we, that we know and we preach all the time. Same thing goes for these community members. And the important part here for our listeners that I want to want to reiterate is altered mentation, right? So if a patient is unconscious and abnormal breathing, so that this is a point that when you look into the literature and you look at reasons why patients don't get CPR in the bystander setting, the common response is, well, the patient was still breathing or the patient was gasping. And we know that gasping, the, you know, the guppy breath, the sort of one breath and then a 30 second pause, that's not normal breathing. So if a patient is unresponsive with abnormal breathing, we're still going to start CPR in those folks as well, Ashton, correct? Right. And that's why I say breathing, not breathing effectively. Um, and so we do talk about gasping and guppy breathing. Those aren't effective breaths. And to go ahead and start CPR because we know those gasps or those guppy breaths aren't effective. The person's still very likely in cardiac arrest and that we need to go ahead and get our hands on chest and start doing compressions. And as someone who is uh, climbing up there in age, if I go down in the mall and my option is no CPR and no brain perfusion because someone is scared that I'm gasping or maybe a cracked rib because I get some good CPR. I'd go for a cracked rib. Give me the brain perfusion every time. And I think that would be my encouragement to the listeners out there is that the downside of not doing CPR when it's needed is brain death. The downside of doing CPR when it's not needed is a little bit of chest pain. Sure. That Maybe go- a chest x-ray. That goes away All with right. time and heals up. So that's where I would sort of put that in the back of your brain that there's really not a whole lot of downside from mm-hmm. being aggressive here. So if but a, a pa- lot of benefit. And a patient's gasping or if they're guppy breathing, don't wait for, wait, is there a breath? Because I can remember learning to put my ear over the mouth or put the back of my hand over their mouth and feel for breaths. If it's not normal breaths, fire away. Right. So we've hit on why bystander CPR is important. We've talked about hands-only CPR and and new developments there. We've talked a little bit about liabilities and sort of some barriers with not recognizing when patients need CPR. Tell us now, let's get get to the fun part. Tell us about Pulse Point and what Pulse Point is and how we've implemented it here at MCHD and what it's going to look like for our community. Cause I'm, I'm pretty excited about this new development. I, I, I think it really has the potential to be a game changer. Tell the, tell the listeners out there what pulse point is and how it works. Yeah, this has been a really exciting thing in, in our world here recently. So pulse point is, is a community CPR app and it integrates to our dispatching system into our CAD and it sends out an app notification to CPRs, or cardiac arrests that happen in public areas. So it's going to notify the public who are users of the app that there is a CPR in their vicinity and send them to grab an AED if there's one nearby and go do CPR and help. Um, And so first of all, it has so many benefits. Um, If there's not a CPR provider around, it's going to send one to them. But also maybe there potentially is going to be multiple CPR providers around. So now you have a whole crew and you can implement CPR and add an AED and and almost form this own, your own pit crew concept in a in a public environment. So let's let's just review for the listeners out there who aren't familiar with some of the acronyms we just threw out. I uh, am an acronym moron. Um, 
AED. What is an AED? Tell tell the listeners out there who don't know what an AED is and why that's important. We've probably gone too far without mentioning that one. So an AED is an automated external defibrillator, and these devices are going to uh, shock a patient in cardiac arrest to try to restore normal heart rhythm. What's beautiful about them is that they are incredibly user-friendly. They're only going to deliver a shock when the patient needs it, and it's it's controlled by the user in a lot of situations. So most AEDs on the market, the bystander or the person utilizing the AED is going to deploy the AED when it's required. So That's the automated portion. So the machine is smart enough to sense the cardiac rhythm that the patient has and recognize whether or not that is a rhythm that needs a shock or not. We know these are valuable in populated public places. Oftentimes you'll see them in the airport. That's where a lot of the early studies were done, where airport casino-based studies, really any highly populated location, churches, schools, schools, Gyms, uh, they're getting really popular in gyms because people like to go into cardiac arrest at gyms. YMCA and yeah. the, and the, uh, all, the, all the fitness centers. The wonderful part about this, and you mentioned pit crew P- CPR, and for the listeners out there that don't know what pit crew CPR means, if you've watched NASCAR, IndyCar, Formula Run, you know what the pit crew does. There's not one person that changes the tire and greases the axle and adjusts the the wedge or whatever mm-hmm. underneath there's five or six or seven people that come out and do each tire and responsible for one job. And we know that that concept is very beneficial in a cardiac arrest CPR situation as well. So if you think about when we learn the very basics, you know, we need somebody to call for help. We need somebody to get the AED. We need somebody to get chest compression started. So to go back to pulse point, basically it's a local alarm for Anytime cardiac arrest event happens. So if you and I are at the mall randomly on Saturday shopping for candles or I don't know, house, Whatever else house, house, housewares <laughs> or I don't know, little drones that my kids want that fly around and drive me nuts. Yeah. And someone is in cardiac arrest and we're in street clothes, we'll both get an alert yep. on our app and it will pinpoint the location. And so instead of you showing up just because you happen to be walking by, it will target us and send us there, and then I can start compressions, and I can say, Ashton, go grab the AED, figure out where it is in the mall. And so you have helping hands. It's truly making responders out of the community, and I think that's what's so great about it is it's intentionally bringing bystanders to perform CPR to the patient in those public environments. I, I can't wait to get my first uh, my first alert. We've had some practices here around the office, and so I'm pretty excited. I, I want to it makes me want to go out in public more yeah. so I can get one. That's going to send send me, the introvert, into, into crowded public places, but yeah. I have to walk around and try to get the chance to do CPR on somebody. And I love that it what it does is it, it not only just CPR, but it brings that AED to the person because I think AEDs often go unnoticed. How often do you know where an AED is in your environment? You might not know that in Texas it's required to be in the schools, and you might not know where it is, or maybe you have one at your church and you don't know where it is. So this AED portion of this program identifies the locations of these AEDs and intentionally sends someone to go get it with that specific location and direction and bringing it back to the patient. So not only identifying the arrest patient and the arrest patient's location, it also identifies the closest AED for you Mm -hmm. and does that portion of the job as well. Yes. And then 911, because it interfaces with our computer, our CAD here, 911 is also notified as well. So it's really doing multiple jobs at once, right? Yeah, so we're really, um, we're adding that community component into that chain of survival. We're adding that bystander component to that chain of survival. We know we have a, a, 
a great working dispatch system. We have a great first responder system. We have a great EMS service. It's getting that community component, getting that bystander component into that chain of survival. When all those links line up together, we have good outcomes. So again, if folks are listening out there, this really is, is going to be exciting technology for me to watch over the next year. This is all data that we track here at MCHD, bystander CPR rates, survival rates, you know, return of circulation rates. That's kind of the nuts and bolts of the dirty that we do here in the office, you know, weekly and monthly and track those things. So it will be very interesting. And I think I'm encouraged by the potential for real changes to be made in, in cardiac arrest survival because that chain's going to be strengthened. Uh, and as we know with any chain, if you've got a weak link, it doesn't matter how strong the other links are. And that's not to, uh, you know, cast uh, shade or negativity on the community. It's just a, it's a big deal being comfortable enough to do CPR on a person that you don't know. That's not something that we all know how to do. But if we can use technology to our advantage and really crowdsource this, which is the way I like to mm-hmm. think about it, I, I don't see... I don't see there there being a downside at all. So again, remind the listeners, if you're interested after listening to this and you want to get involved, you want to learn more, you want to take one of our classes or find a class online, how can they get in touch with us? How can they get in touch with, with CPR classes online? Sure. So if you're outside of Montgomery County, you can go to the American Heart Association's website and search for CPR classes in your area. For those of you who are local or in the surrounding areas of Montgomery County, you can go to our website at www.mchd-tx.org and search under our calendar of events for our CPR classes. And lastly, I want to encourage everybody to download the PulsePoint app. Become a user. If you're not in a PulsePoint service area, uh, maybe you can encourage your local agencies to look into PulsePoint. But what's really cool is even if you don't have pulse point maybe in your area if you travel into an area that is pulse point enabled that app is going to work for you so it doesn't matter where you are as long as your agencies are using pulse point that app's on your phone you're going to get a notification awesome well ashton as always thanks for joining us this is excellent information for listeners out there if you have questions or uh, concerns ideas for new podcasts questions about pulse point uh, hit us up at the podcast email, and it's very similar to Ashton's website address, podcast at mchd-tx.org. We are always excited to get feedback and new ideas. And as always, leave us a review wherever you listen to us out there. It helps get us out there, get us more visible, and we will talk to everyone soon. This podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, can be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.